Good morning, good morning. Oh, now you're singing good morning. Oh, you it's stuck in my head, literally. <laughs> I did it. You sang today. It wasn't that bad, I don't think. We'll listen back it and wasn't. see. It wasn't. It was great. Yeah, it was great. Good morning from beautiful Los Angeles, California. How's Charleston today? Charleston is, uh, it's still oppressively humid, but <sighs> I will say the temperature has decreased and that I think everybody is a little bit in a better mood. And right. and I will update everybody that all of the things that have been breaking have not been totally fixed yet, but we are on the right direction. Every air conditioner repairman in Charleston is probably busier than a one-armed paper hanger. Oh my God. They need to just also realize they're making a lot of money and they should shh about it. But <laughs> <laughs> they're slowly, the hood is back up at the restaurant. Like life is good. So Great. that goes to a lot of the, the podcasts that we're about to, that everybody's about to embark on because- you got to appreciate the little things in life. And I'm extremely just grateful that some of this is coming back together. Sometimes it rains and what? It's poor. When it, when it, it rains, rains, it pours. When it you, rains, it pours. Did you just have a stroke? Oh my God. Just, I did. I did. A I had a very small stroke. That's fine. But what have you been up to? Well, so, you know, we had Dr. Jennifer Armstrong on the podcast last week from the oh, Real Housewives of Orange County. And since she started sharing our stuff, I've been booking guests for the podcast and we just, it's just been sort of flooding in. So it's really exciting. Our social media is starting to take off. Oh, speaking of social media, y'all, if you're listening, can you please, please, Laura, what should we tell them today? Oh, okay. Well, so essentially, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but when you go to listen on Spotify, on iTunes, all of that, it would mean the world to us if you would just hit that little follow or the subscribe button, because that way it automatically downloads. It's kind of like radio. You're, you're not getting the exact data back. So that's really the only way we know that we're doing a good job. So, so please go you, find the subscribe button. Yes, they're on it. our actual page, not per episode. There will be like on iTunes, you will see follow or subscribe and same for Spotify, same for Amazon Music, whatever you use. There is an option to follow, subscribe, but also if you could like and follow our Instagram and Facebook and soon to be much more updated TikTok because guys, <laughs> sorry, we're a little bit old. We're trying to figure <laughs> we're this trying. out. We're but trying. I just beg of you because that's how we know that y'all like what's going on. And the more you share it, the more you tell your friends and family, the more we can get our, our message out there, which is really just to help people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this podcast, no, I think I know that this podcast today is going to help a lot of people that are going through it, maybe experiencing some grief, some loss, and that it's an ongoing, you don't ever get over it. You just get through it. And we have a wonderful guest today. Oh, we do. My new best friend. Yes. We're going to welcome to the program, Sarah King. And uh, I'm going to tell them a little bit about her. What you think? Yes, please do. Yeah, okay. please do that. Born and raised on the East Coast, daughter to the hilarious Greg, wild woman Carol, and older sister to two equally goofy brothers, Sarah found her way to the City of Angels by a fortunate stroke of serendipity less than a year before that small interruption commonly known as COVID-19. She spent the previous 10 glorious and sometimes smelly years earning her badge as a true New Yorker, where she lived out her childhood dream of performing on the Great White Way. 
There, she was grateful to have opportunities to make her Broadway debut, originate a role in another Broadway show, book multiple TV appearances, participate in exciting developmental workshops, and build a beautiful network of mentors and chosen family. She has toured extensively throughout the United States on multiple Broadway shows, one of which she might have stripped down naked every night. Bonus points if you can guess the show, everybody and has had the pleasure of bringing new works to the United Kingdom, touring throughout England and performing in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Since her arrival in Los Angeles, she has not only scooped up an Ovation Award for Best Actress in a Musical, but has fully built a life full of friendships, lots of hiking and yoga, hours perfecting recipes in her kitchen, and paying way too much for car insurance. Please welcome to the program, (laughs) Sarah King. All right. Good morning. Welcome, Sarah King. Thank you. So happy to be here on this lovely morning. Ah, so nice to have you. How are you doing today? You know, this coffee is hitting, so even better as the time goes on. Well, that is all that matters. It makes a huge (laughs) difference with Todd. I can tell you that. It's night and day. For sure. (laughs) I've also experienced the Todd monster before coffee. Oh my God. Thank you for saying that. I I didn't say it. I didn't call you a Todd monster, but she did. And here's the guy. Let me just say she only speaks truth. So it is what it is. I I plead the fifth. There are moments, (laughs) and I'm not even joking, that he has sent me the meanest text messages in the world. And then later he's like, Elizabeth. And then (laughs) (laughs) and then he's like, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry for that. I, I just, <laughs> you need to understand that there's Todd before coffee caffeine. and Todd yeah. <laughs> uh, after. It's not, so. it's not a cute moment. No. All right. Well, let's just get right into it because you guys know each other and obviously have a very good friendship and uh, <laughs> have worked together. But I'd like to know a little bit about basically your journey within the entertainment industry. Kind of where did you grow up? What drew you to the arts and kind of how you got involved? Yeah, 100%. Well, first of all, yes, Todd and I have known each other now for, I guess, about three, three, a little over three years. We met right when I got to Los Angeles. I moved the very, very end of March 2019. Once I arrived, I did a couple of shows. I did a a production of Singing in the Rain, playing Lena Lamont, and then I did another show, Beauty and the Beast, starring our lovely Todd Adamson as the Beast, and it was a fast friendship and... Here we are three years later. (laughs) Very, very lucky to have him. Oh, thanks, Sarah. Yeah. And where did you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in a town called Bel Air, not California. We bougie, but not that bougie. Bel Air, Maryland. And I am the eldest of two wonderful younger brothers. I had two incredible parents. And yeah, I grew up a normal kid. I mean, I think that the desire to do this came on very, very early. My mom tells a story that we were at a friend's house. It was during the summertime and there was a a community theater production coming up of, gosh, I think it was Annie. And so my friend was going to audition for this. I was a few years younger. And so she's getting up and she's practicing her audition song. And my mom just kind of says, Hey, Sarah, why don't you, why don't you get up and sing something? And so the story goes is that I stood up to sing something and everybody's jaw just kind of dropped like, oh, what? This girl can actually do something with that voice inside of her. So that kind of started the bug. I started auditioning for theater at a very young age, about eight years old, and then kind of continued to work throughout growing up, not in any kind of child actor way or, but I definitely was working that good dinner theater circuit and community theater I actually, strangely enough, booked this feature film at age 11. It's called Washington Square, where I played a young Jennifer Jason Lee. 
And that was really, really cool for me because I can't wait to go now, like just find that, that part of that movie. Like, as I've, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. And now I have to brace yourself. There is a very, very chubby little girl in the first five (laughs) to eight minutes of the film. And it will be this, it will be this, it will be this face right here. (sighs) Yeah, so I I happened to land that role. I got an agent and was one of these mall auditions where the line's wrapping around and they're looking for that one little girl. And yeah, and it was me. That was a really, really cool experience. The director, Agnieszka Holland, was so, so wonderful to me. And what was the coolest is that my scene work was with Albert Finney and Maggie Smith, which... For what? me, I'm yeah, I'm sitting here thinking, oh God, that's old Wendy on Hook. This is so freaking cool. And Albert Finney was Daddy Warbucks, which I had already done at least two productions of Annie somewhere. So I was very familiar with the film. So that was definitely a really, really cool experience for me at a young age that continued to kind of deepen this desire and this love to go after the craft. And I still get residual checks. They may be 97 cents, but they're still coming in the oh, mail. They still say. count. You better, if you don't it's, get that, you should check back in. It costs them more money to send this than for me to actually <laughs> cash it. It's good. I just kind of continued to hone in and get into dance class and start voice lessons and continued on through high school. I mean, my high school was very, very, I kind of was did everything. You know, I played field hockey. I wasn't a theater kid in high school at all. I sang, I think I took choir, but I was very, very much into kind of doing the whole thing. I loved scholastics and sports and everything. And then found my way going to university, going to Shenandoah Conservatory. And I have a BFA in fine arts. Fabulous. Well, you are an incredibly accomplished Broadway actress. And most notably, we're in the original Broadway company of Beautiful, the Carol King musical. And you most recently played Cynthia Weil in the Broadway National Tour. Can you tell us about your journey with the show and what it was like getting to create a story around such iconic music from sort of the ground up? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I think I have to preface this story with when I got the call from my agent, I was actually geared up to be in another Broadway show that was supposed to be coming to Broadway January. We were going to start rehearsals December of 2012. It was a musical called Diner, which had music by Sheryl oh, yeah. Crow. This, yeah, this incredible score directed by Kathleen Marshall. We did this awesome month long workshop and it was what 2012, which I'm sure we'll get into was the year of my life with the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. I mean, that encapsulated year really, I think was a very life-changing year for me in, in all of the ways. But that December, right before Christmas, we get these emails after we did this really successful workshop and we're geared up for Broadway and we just more or less a Merry Christmas, your Broadway show has been canceled. So (laughs) with that, I went down to Florida for the summer at the time I was married and we were working on renovating this house. My mother had passed away at the end of 2012. So pretty much right after we had finished that Broadway workshop of diner, I went down to Texas to care for my mother in her last couple weeks of life. She ended up passing away. So fast forward to the summer of 2013, I'm down in Florida. My mother is gone. And I get this call from my agent saying, hey, there's this Carol King musical they're going to do. It's going to go right to Broadway. It's fast track. And I'm sitting here and thinking, okay, well, what about this fast track thing that just happened, right? Yeah. But somewhere in my heart, it was almost a sign. My mom was so in love with Carol King. I grew up listening to the Tapestry album. The Tapestry album was an album for her that absolutely changed her life, much like it did the baby boomer generation. It just is such an incredible album. And I just really felt... Even at the time when I didn't have work and I knew the flight was going to cost a grand just to get up to New York and back, I just felt called to do so. And, and through that 
faith and hopping on the plane and doing my initial final callback before I even landed back in Florida, I had another final, final callback. So I flew back up the next week and put my boot in it and booked that show. And it was honestly such an incredible journey. It's the one and only time I've been able to originate a role, to be with a show from the ground up. I had not done any previous workshops of the show, but a few people who came along the ride had. And it's really fascinating to put together a show that's based on real people and not even real people that are in the ground. I mean, these are alive, living, well people who had thoughts and opinions and Cindy Wilde specifically and Barry Mann, they were very, very, very present in the creating of this story. I know that the songs from the Man Wilde catalog shifted quite a few times. They just felt really strongly about how their music was going to be represented, as they should. I mean, they're just incredible songwriters. And funny enough, Carol King was actually not involved in the process really? at all. She no, you know the story. She trusted you guys, her. or she just well. I think it was the... weird for a minute, if I remember correctly. It was weird, and then she finally came and saw it. Right? It was hard for her. Right? Yes. I mean, I think the the story of beautiful begins at age 16 as a young girl in Brooklyn, and her journey venturing to Times Square, selling her first song, meeting her late husband, Jerry Goffin, and becoming this songwriting team, it would write these hits that would shape a, a generation. I mean, truly, there's the locomotion, uh, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? I mean, they wrote for these incredible groups, the Drifters, the Shirelles, the Crystals. There's really so many songs that you don't even know that she has yeah. penned, where if they were to come on, it's a banger. You're like, yes, I love this song. But it was, I think, a very painful part of her life as well, because throughout that journey from 16 until 28, when she released the Tapestry album, her marriage was extremely tumultuous. And Jerry Goffin, God rest his soul, which we ended up meeting in San Francisco, really did suffer from mental illness. And I think it was a time when mental illness was not in the spotlight and people didn't know how to deal with it, what to do with it. And their treatments then were so archaic that it's yeah. just... Do you mean like depression or more Just, Just f- full on, no, full on significant wiring just being crossed in the brain. I mean, like bipolar or something that you, yeah, exactly. Bipolar, yeah. Personality disorder, bipolar disorder. I mean, it really was so much so that it's revealed in our show that Jerry Goffin was a bit of a philanderer so much so that he ended up having another child with another woman where Carol actually bought the house next to her house in New Jersey so that the family could be together so that Jerry oh, wow. could be a presence in her girl's life. Wow. That's hard. That's love. It's, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I also just think you have two children with this man and you want him to be a part of it. But regardless, I just think it was a very tricky time in Carol's life. And she trusted her daughter, Sherry, who was the youngest, her younger daughter, to kind of make the calls. And I think Sherry got a hold of the script. And the story goes is that she called her mom and said, mom, listen, this is a really special piece. I know that it's a painful time and it's, you know, a lot of this memories I'm sure you're blocking out or don't really want to relive, but it's such a story of hope and perseverance. And she really triumphs. She still gets divorced. She still has hardships. Jerry Goffin would be the first of four marriages that Carol King would have. So it's not that her pain ended. Yeah, it's not that her pain ended there. It's just it was such a significant part of her life and growing and shaping. And of course, entering the age of 28, where everyone goes into their Saturn return. So and what what about Cynthia? Did she have a tumultuous journey with them? 
No, I mean, the four of them really were best friends. They actually were best friends. There was always this healthy competition, which I think the show Beautiful really highlights and focuses around this playful, but serious. Oftentimes our director would say to us, remember, you don't know that these are going to be the hits. You don't know that these are going to be the songs that shape a generation. So you're going into this day like you got to get the job. You got to pay your bills. You got to do your life. So even though they were friends, best friends, there still was this healthy competition that kept them riled up. And Cynthia and Barry, very much, they're not as much of a household name, which is wild. Because if you actually go and look at their catalog, they are the 80s yeah. pop power love ballad writing duet of all time, in my opinion. I mean, you've lost that love and feeling they wrote. And oh my gosh, you serious? Yeah, they wrote somewhere out there from American Tale. American Tale. Oh, American Tale. I mean, oh my literally, gosh. if you if you look at their song list, your mind will simply explode because it's just incredible. But they they did feel very strongly about what songs were going to be in and out. I know when we were doing our out of town tryout in San Francisco, we had different songs in place, and when we got to Broadway, things kind of adjusted and shifted. Whatever their desires were is kind of what we. Do you remember but- what songs were thrown out from the catalog? Mm, my brain isn't that great. I know that there was a really <laughs> wonderful, just like, well, it's 2013, it's been a while. <laughs> there was a really awesome song that we did. There's a club scene in the second act, and there was this song called Hey Everybody, which was this upbeat, just finger snapping, kind of amazing. The curtain kind of comes up from this heavier scene, and we go into this club scene. It's just this explosion of wild raucous dancing which i thought was really cool in san francisco and then when we got to broadway cynthia really wanted there's a song called uptown which she felt very strongly she wanted to be in the play so uptown became the new song so it became more of a loungy kind of transition more of a i'm gonna sing a song for you a moment instead of a a club (laughs) scene when you're doing broadway out of town tryouts everything shifts you come into the dressing room and there's new papers on your station every single day and we once we got to new york we previewed for 60 performances which is the maximum amount that our union will allow a oh show to preview for so it was two straight months of coming into the dressing room you don't know what the changes are going to be and you don't rehearse for it they just plop the papers down and say and now in the show this evening go for it that new line or that new scene or this new blocking what? change wow well, yeah. I think Todd knows way more of what that actually means than I do. So I'll, I'll, well, <laughs> we'll it means debrief like you're, after. You're, you've been rehearsing a show. It's the same way for, I don't know, a few weeks. And then all of a sudden <laughs> you start to go on autopilot in the sense that you know your lines, you know your yeah. intentions. And then all of a sudden they're like, here's a new intention. Here's new, ah, here's new lines. And oh, by the great. way, you got to memorize it right now and do it tonight. Okay. Right. Gotcha. So yeah. it's. You're just, you're arriving after show, you have an audience in 30 minutes and you had just have new material on your station and they just say, okay, that's in the show tonight. So on Broadway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah in front of like a bunch of people paid a lot of money for, yeah. for these tickets. Right. So right. no big deal. No right. big deal. Exactly. No big deal. Well, Refunds at the end if you hate it. <laughs> and I guess what really resonated with me though, with what everything you kind of said though, is that the Carol King story in a way really kind of reminds us, reminds me of the premise of this show of like sure. the going through 100%. going through it and that it doesn't always ever necessarily end but there's those certain moments that you get you overcome that you deal with and that perseverance in and of itself is, is a healing and wonderful thing so i i hope that she ultimately liked the show 
once it she once again. she did and actually her first time seeing it which is caught on camera it's on youtube floating around Ooh, somewhere i'll find it she attended a performance in disguise actually we as the cast Stop. members had no idea i think the producers were the only ones who knew i don't think our stage managers knew and after the show right before bowels we say everyone we're gonna do this broadway cares equity fights aids the broadway community collects twice a year for this really incredible organization that helps a multitude of things, which we can talk about or not. But anyway, we were in our Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS speech at the end of the show. Thank you so much for coming. This is why we're collecting money. You'll see actors with red buckets out. And then all of a sudden we're in the middle of this speech. Jared Spector, who was our original Barry man, is sitting there and across the stage literally walks five foot nothing, Carol King. And all of us, we had never met her. We've been doing her story now for a long time knowing that she wasn't going to come see the show. So for all of us, it was such a shock, but such an amazing. What a moment. Just exactly. Just such an incredible moment. We ended up auctioning off her singing. You've got a friend for $30,000 that night, which was wow, incredible. That's amazing. But yeah, she confided in as well, not confided. But when she came backstage afterwards, of course, we're all just mouth open and dangling on the floor. We were just so excited to meet her finally. And she she literally showed up to the Stephen Sondheim Theater in, in full disguise. I'm talking a different color wig, a hat, glasses, the whole thing. I mean, she's so recognizable. That blonde, yeah. fuzzy, curly hair, you really can't miss it. She's so adorable. And just one of the most generous, open spirits. And I think the subject of this podcast, she really did take her pain and her trauma and her obstacles and turn it into something so incredibly beautiful, not to play on words of the show. I mean, that song in and of itself is a stunning song. It's the the beginning lyrics are just such a, it's just an incredible, her stories are, are wonderful, but she really did take all of that, all of the pain with her husband, just being in the business and trying to make it. And she turned it into something so remarkable. And her, her move out to LA, she actually moved out to LA and, and had a place on Laurel Canyon, which I happened to live <laughs> when I first moved out to LA. I lived right off of Laurel Canyon. So it felt like a very moment for me. Yeah, it's a full circle but moment. It really is a full circle moment. But that move was powered and fueled by needing to get out, needing yeah. to get out, take her daughters, get them somewhere, build a new life for themselves, try to move through her own grief. And at that age, she was... <laughs> 27. Yes. She had been through so much life, two kids, a husband who had cheated multiple times, a divorce. I mean, bless her heart. And then she happens to crank out one of the most successful records of all time yeah. in that period. It's just, it's so inspiring. And she's just a ball of love. I mean, it's wonderful. She's, she's a cool, she's a cool cat for sure. That's awesome. And I, I think what we have found a pattern We've interviewed a lot of people in the arts overall, Broadway, actors, singers of all kinds. And it seems like that there is a really good outlet and also a little bit of an escape in that way that it helps you to kind of overcome those things by having that outlet that a lot of other people don't really have. So that being said, I wanted to kind of shift a little bit to less of Carol King's drama and (laughs) kind of talk about. Like when you hear the word trauma, what does that mean to you? And what do you feel like the hardest obstacles that you've had to overcome in your life thus far? Oh, Lord, how long is this podcast? No, <laughs> as long as you need it, No, I think trauma for me is, I think everyone has their own perspective on the levels of trauma. You really can't put a qualifier on, well, my trauma is bigger than yours, so it's more important or it's more prevalent. I think everyone experiences trauma in different ways. For me personally, I would associate my biggest trauma 
it was really all very much focused in my 20s. I lost my dad at 18. He passed of a pulmonary embolism, literally kind of middle of the night, dropped dead, roll out of bed. And it was the whole nightmare scene of my mom screaming and my brothers and I running downstairs. And my dad was a big dude. He was 6'4". I mean pushing 280. This man was just a presence, just a big, goofy, hilarious, wonderful, loving man. And my 15-year-old brother is doing CPR on him and I'm on the phone with 911. It just was that movie scene that you see that you don't think people are actually, like that people don't actually go through that. And the paramedics arrive and my dad worked in the healthcare system. So we, we moved down. So this was actually down in Houston, Texas. So we moved between my junior and senior year of high school, which that could be considered Trauma, trauma for someone else where you grow up in one town and you have all these friends and you're in one school. And then all of a sudden, right before senior year and the summer before senior year, they say, okay, we're going to move you halfway across the country where they don't have the sports that you play. It's a whole different beast. I went from going to a private Catholic school to a public school of going from 200 people per class to a thousand people per class. And when I said, Hey, does there field hockey here? They said, what? A what hockey? <laughs> what a, a what? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that was down in Houston and just just the, the, the way that the scene continued to play out that night, getting my dad to the hospital, me driving as a, an 18-year-old behind the ambulance and getting there and the whole doctor coming out and saying, we did everything we could. I mean, how many movies have we seen where the doctor comes out and says that and the mother, the wife, or the, who, it's a meltdown. And so, and I think it was really, really more so than that exact moment. I think just watching my mother go through that pain. And we all were completely obliterated. My, my father was such an incredible bright light and the leader of our family, but also just my parents were best friends. I mean, they were partners for 25 years. I have no doubt that if he was still on this earth, they would be blissfully running around somewhere with a child-free house. They really had such an incredible relationship and they raised my brothers and I I think really admirably. And we just had such a close, tight-knit family. So to see her have the rug pulled out from under her. I mean, all these years of being with this person, building a life with this person, raising three kids with this person. And my parents were really a yin and yang energy. My mom, all heart, super wild. I mean, so much fun. Everybody who met her just fell in love with her. She was the favorite at work, singing through the halls. She was just an incredible, incredible woman. So their yin and yang really was something to be jealous of. That is what I've sought for my life and my relationships after watching them and having them as an example. But yeah, just really watching my mom kind of work through that. And she lost a bunch of weight and just her whole life being flipped upside down. And it was interesting actually for my brothers and I to watch her kind of reemerge as her own individual, because when you couple up with someone, especially for that amount of time, there are certain parts of yourself that get compromised and not in a bad way. It's just when two energies come together, you kind of find the way that y'all fit and, and how your dynamic works within your home and outside of your home. And, and I didn't realize that my mom, while both my parents were so extremely bold, my mom had taken more of the backseat, which is hard to imagine because she was such a wild human being. But then when my dad passed, watching her kind of reemerge as this person that my brothers and I, for 18 years, I didn't know who this person was. So it was an interesting thing to watch her try to refine her center and herself and who she wanted to be post my dad. And then just following up on that, I I went off to college, back to college for my sophomore year, just two weeks after my dad's funeral. I offered to stay for a year. My mom said, no, your dad would not want that. So I went back to Shenandoah and continued to pursue my career or my degree. 
And then my 20s just continued to be peppered with these losses. Two years, maybe not even two years, maybe just one year after my dad passed, his mother ended up passing away and she was living near where I went to college. So I was really there for the last breaths and moments. So it was her and then my mom. I think one of the most visceral conversations or moments that I can remember surrounding my mother's death was, so I am a divorced human being and was married in 2012. So I went back to Texas a week before the wedding. The wedding was in Florida and I'm back in Texas and we're going for my final dress fitting. My mom has this doctor's appointment and it's at this cancer center. And she's like, oh, I slipped my back. And this is just where they sent me to get the blood work. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I said, well, mom, let me take you to the appointment. She said, no, 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 no. I can go by myself. I said, mom, I'm home. Let me just drive you to the appointment. I have nothing to do. Let me spend the time with you. Sure. I'll just sit in the lobby, whatever. Once again, it felt like another kind of scene from a movie where I'm in the lobby and she goes and gets this testing done. And the doctor comes out and says, I'm looking for Carol Rizika's person. And, and, and I go and I'm sitting there and I'll never forget the look on my mother's face when I get back to this patient room. And the look, I don't even know if I can describe it appropriately. It was just this look of terror. I'm sorry. Please don't listen to this. It's all going to be okay. All in one look. And in that moment, it all clicked for me that, oh, we're at one of the top cancer centers in the U.S., Here we are. She has this look on her face. The doctor came and got me. And it was a diagnosis for a cancer called multiple myeloma, which is a cancer of the bone plasma. Very, very rare for my mom's demographic to get this cancer. And at this juncture, it was really, really far advanced. So basically from that moment on, from diagnosis to death was only eight months. And within that eight months, I got married the very next week. My brother got married at the very, very end of October and my mom would pass two weeks after that. So it was really one of those moments and stories of her just holding on for that event. Yeah. People in the end of their life, you know, they they will hold on for things or wait for that person to get off the plane and come say bye to them in the hospital before they let themselves pass. And even that wave in and of itself, I mean, just from the diagnosis and then she would go into remission maybe and then chemo and I was flying back and forth and spending time with her and we went wig shopping and shaved her head. And if I wasn't an actor, I would have shaved my head with her. And yeah, after I completed that workshop of diner, it was it was a really odd sequence of events. It was my brother's wedding in Austin. And then I had to come back and do this workshop that I've been working so hard on. And then a best friend's wedding and I flew right to Texas kind of indefinitely because I just knew that I wasn't going to make it back to New York before she ended up passing on. By the time we had gotten to my brother's wedding, she was very weak and in a wheelchair. She just, the photos of her at my wedding versus the photos of her at my brother's wedding, which were only seven months apart, were just remarkably different. So yeah. And then it continues. It's like, then her mother passed away and then my stepfather, it's just, it's all, it just continued to be this long, seemingly endless parade of funerals. My brothers and I, you have to find some humor in the situation at some point because yeah. Lord knows humor saves us all. But we kind of started joking about having a funeral home punch card because it was, it just yeah. felt like this, it's, it's unending. It's, right. it's never going to stop. When and is it going to stop? You recently just closed our condolences to you, by the way, for all yes, of that. I'm Thank so you. sorry wow. for all of your losses. Exactly. And you just recently closed your mother's estate with your siblings. So after, what has it been like, how long has it been? 10 years. So after a decade since her passing, would you say that the trauma of the loss is more current now than than other years when you were on Broadway? And would you say now that you just recently, or do you think it's just all, it's just 
I think the further you get away from a, a traumatic event, I think time does its thing, right? Even if you're not actively trying to heal, time absolutely plays its huge part. And I think living in New York City and being busy and working on Broadway, I mean, that schedule in and of itself is so intense. I mean, we don't work a lot of hours necessarily, but we're working every single day. We get one day off. So I stay busy. And just to go to the grocery store in New York is an event. I mean, you got to get out of your apartment and weed through the people and get to the store. So I stay very, very busy. And I definitely think that that was part of my coping mechanism. Closing my mom's estate after a decade. And believe me, we still have more to go regarding her. She remarried after my dad, about five years after my dad passed away, which obviously was incredible. And my brothers and I were super supportive. We just wanted her to be happy. And she was young. She just got in her freak young 40s when my dad passed. So just she had so much life ahead of her. So go, girl, you know, get married. And unfortunately, Harry passed in 2016. Once again, another freak kind of accident and death and burial that my brothers and I dealt with and put together. And unfortunately his estate will still take a little bit longer, but just the breath out of getting to close that chapter, the last part of her estate to go was the house that my dad and her purchased in Texas when they moved us from Maryland down. And so it was just wild to see the house kind of get repainted and freshened up for the sale. And then to finally have it be off of our hands. It's the hugest relief because I think when you don't, it's just something that's still, it's just always there. It's just always yeah. hanging over your head and you're just trying to clear the energy and get it out of here. You know, I want to move on. Of course, well, yeah. Yeah. It felt, it felt like closure. It, it really did. Well, did I, and I kind of, I hate to interrupt, but, and I've talked about this on the podcast before where during COVID I experienced four losses in my family in one year. And oh, it God, was I'm like, so sorry. thank you. But just like with your scenario, it's almost one of those things you get to a point you're just like, I remember my mom calling me to tell me that my grandfather had passed. And this is only months after my grandmother had passed yeah. from Alzheimer's. And he was, we don't still don't really know what he died of. I mean, he died in his sleep, which I guess we can all agree is probably the best way to go. But it was almost For like sure, he died yeah. of, a, of a broken heart. But she called me and told me and it was like, my response wasn't even to cry. It was just like, are you effing kidding me? And then to then lose my uncle and then my sister-in-law at at very young age, she was 32. It's almost like, did you feel like it's so hard to like process each one? Cause it's like one after the other. And then it kind of just compounds. Do you feel like at this point with the selling of the house and all of that, that, that in itself has kind of helped you heal from all of that that has gone one after another because you really haven't been able to take a breath. No. And I think, first of all, my condolences for you and your family, that's wild in such a short amount of, I mean, four losses in a year is astounding and no one should have to experience, not, not a single person should have to experience that. I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. I would say that it's this strange kind of silent, energetic thing. It's interesting when you say when they compound like that, how do you process or do you process? And the answer is, I still don't know that I've processed it. When you stay so busy, and I did and have and continue to do so, I can't sit still. I'm always going on hikes or doing yoga, which is wonderful for healing as well to kind of connect with nature. I think that's kind of been my greatest solace is just getting out into nature and moving my body. But when you stay busy, it's not that you're trying to forget. It's just easily pushed to the back. And I think in these moments of stillness, especially with the pandemic and everyone who was an actor worked in entertainment or hospitality, 
our industries really came to a screeching halt. And so we had nothing but time, which is oh, yeah. slightly terrifying. Like, okay, where are my thoughts going to go this time? But you do, you get to a point where it's kind of like, okay, we'll put another shrimp on the Barbie. Here we go. I and I, I think that as time continues on, I will still continue to process and mourn because I even just saw a therapist with my wonderful boyfriend last year. And it was my first session in with her and we were both in there together. And I don't think I was talking about my parents. And one of the first things this incredible therapist said to me was, oh yeah, your trauma is, it's right here. It's so on the surface. You, you think it's hidden and buried and you've moved through it, but it's, it's on you. It's like the color of your shirt. It's that obvious to a trained a trained, a trained person, person. But also I, yeah, just, I, yeah, I can tell I also, you, I didn't I, you look know. at you and think, oh my gosh, right. she is, this oh, wow. woman She's is full of trauma. No. <laughs> um, but you know, there is, a, I think that, that there is kind of a, a common thread that I've noticed that people that have been through a lot, and I consider myself the same way as it is like, keep yourself busy. But I think a part of that too, is that realizing how kind of precious life is. And that, yeah, you can sit still and that is that, I mean, the four deaths happened during COVID. So it wasn't like I had I couldn't have a lot. Right. And, oh and I gosh. own a restaurant. Exactly. So it wasn't like I could do anything. I couldn't go to work oh, or any of it. Bless you, so, God. Yes. And this is not feel sorry for Laura podcast time. But I think in a way that while you will definitely need to work through that on a deeper level with that therapist who obviously sees something that the rest of us don't see, it does in a way I feel like give you a little bit of life because you can see how quickly it can go. And yeah, I just didn't know if you you also felt that same way from those losses. A million percent. I think that it has changed my perspective on everyday life so much. I got the nickname Roses by a <laughs> by a friend simply because I'm the person who now always stops and smells roses. Literally will stop and smell roses because they're so beautiful. And we'll, like, look at that butterfly. Isn't this amazing? Feel the breeze across my skin. And it's, it's not, I'm not trying to be anything. I'm not trying to make a point. It's just genuinely how the lens with which I view the world. And I've always been extremely positive and optimistic, but I think when you watch these lives just kind of get ripped away, it's impossible not to look at time differently. It's just impossible. And well, I think- and you've said loss is not scary for you anymore. Is that sort of what you meant by that? Like you've sort of embraced what this is life. And I think that both of you have gone through so much, just listening to both of you. If you lose that many people in such a short amount of time and y'all are just staying busy, that is survival, in my opinion. I oh, mean, yeah. If you don't, if it's like if you don't put that energy into something positive and something that's going to continue to move you forward, when you do actually sit with the grief, you have something else. I think it's planting these seeds. So, you know, you have to go and water those seeds later. When you have a moment, you can sit with the grief and process in that moment. But I think that y'all being busy, just hearing it, it's like, of course they are. Of course you have to get out there and do stuff because otherwise you would just sit in a horrible, horrible, dis mm -hmm. yeah. But you did say that loss is not scary for you anymore. What did you mean by that? I just think that there's so few things that are actually constant with life. Change is always constant with life. If you don't embrace change, then get out now, sister, because that is constant. I'm different now than I was 30 minutes ago when I started this podcast with y'all. And the other thing is death. I mean, you can't have life without death. It's a part of life. I don't know what my allotted time is on this earth. I do personally believe that our souls kind of carry on and the energy of us releases into another form. I don't know that I can expand upon that. I just believe that. Oh, I feel I'm. We, yeah, we're, like, we're a ball of energy and we're just energy. We're just molecules buzzing around and doing mm -hmm. the thing. And 
And I think that there's something so beautiful and peaceful about just living every day to its fullest. And when it's your time, it's your time. Of course, go through life with care and don't be a careless person and and bring an early end to your life. You don't really fear death is what I'm hearing. No, I mean, of course, I don't want it to be a slow and painful death. I would like to live many more years. I feel solidly that I'm only a third of the way through and I would like to make it further than this day. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I have so much more to do it. and see. Just... <laughs> right, exactly. Good Lord, this is it. Bye, y'all. But yeah. if you live every day like it's your last or if you say those I love yous to people and really cherish every minute and cook the food you want to cook and take the time and don't overwork yourself and don't go through life with grippy hands. I think that especially in our industry, Todd, as an actor, it's so easy to try to white knuckle things and I want this job or my agent's not getting me this or I mean, Lord, it's, it's a daily struggle sometimes, but just going through life with these open palms and breathing deep. It's when you're living so fully, it's like, you're not going to get robbed of anything because you're already in the moment and you're already doing your best. Yeah. And I think honestly, from those deaths and that loss, I, and people maybe think that I'm just kind of weird at this point, but I make a point to say, I love you all the time. And, and I mean it full, like wholeheartedly. It's not like some kind of just passing like, bye, I love you. mean it. It's like, no, like I love you. I need that to be the last thing you heard just in case. Without a doubt. And, and I think it's nice to actually talk to somebody who's been through. Seriously. And even just, I mean, don't you even feel like even my wonderful boyfriend, Matt, he, at this juncture of his life, he is one of the most emotionally available human beings I've had the pleasure of sharing my life with. And the one thing that does distinguish us is he has not gone through any significant loss. I mean, none truly. And so we're coming at this relationship where I've gone through all of this loss and buried every form of parent and grandmother that is in this world for me. And he has both of his parents and just beyond that just has not experienced death in the way that I have. And I think that when you've gone through this, there's just this ability to let the small stuff go. Yeah. Don't sweat the small stuff. I remember like reading that book when I was in middle school or high school. I don't know if y'all have seen it. And and you're like, well, duh, obviously I'm not going to sweat the small stuff. But then like to think about who I was before those losses to now, like that phrase means such a different thing to me. It's like before it was like, stop being so stressed out. Whereas now it's like, no, literally like, stop. Because it's not worth it. it it's literally not it. worth it. Like, like why, why are you trying time? to work these extra four hours on a Sunday for what, dude? Just enjoy. It. And this is not directed at. I mean, this could apply to him, but this is not yeah. directed at. It's just <laughs> it, the, the general. Well, this is part of the appreciation of life. Like, this is one of the reasons that we wanted to do this podcast was to have people talk and get out there and talk about these things and let other people know these exact thoughts that life is short, that you should deal with your trauma, that you should essentially talk about it because who are you holding it in for? Like, who are you serving by doing that? And I think just because we are, I think, so similar in a lot of ways. And (laughs) and I think another one of those similarities is that I am also divorced. And yeah, so, you know, in the club, club, girl, I know, right? Let's do this. Let's do it. The death and divorce club. Yeah, Um, But, you know, (laughs) as far as divorce goes, do you feel like divorce for you has some stigma to it or that it has caused any additional trauma to what you had already been through? Just kind of what are your thoughts? 
Honestly, I think at the time, the idea for divorce did come from me within my marriage. And I just want to go out and say that my ex-husband is truly, and I say this to everyone who inquires or finds out that I'm divorced, it's an always follow up with my ex-husband is one of the most wonderful human beings that I've ever met in my entire life. There is not a person that comes across him that does not think that he is just an incredible human being, just kind and generous and giving and smart and talented and all of these wonderful things. I mean, the reasoning for my divorce doesn't really necessarily matter or play in, but I mean, it, it was a moment in my life that was handled with so much love and care. I mean, just, just for a timeline, we got separated February of 2015 and we didn't actually sign divorce papers until August of 2017. It was wow. such a long, and it wasn't because there was anything nasty going on. It was just we were two human beings and young in our 20s, in our mid 20s. We yeah. were just two human beings who did love each other so much. But I was this young person that was just embarking on my New York City journey and I hadn't been on Broadway and I hadn't gone after my dreams. And he was a boy from Florida that wanted the house and the kids in the yard. And our visions of life just did not align. And no matter how much you love somebody, if you're going separate ways, there's no amount of love in the world that can really get that together. Someone's going to have to give up something massive. And I think even before we got married, strangely enough, I kind of had this talk with him literally only a month. And I said, Hey, listen, I hadn't even moved to Manhattan yet. I said, I'm going to New York city. I'm going to be on Broadway. I'm going to be an actor. This is not a phase of my life. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. I feel so passionate about that. And I recognize that you have other goals and you want children and you feel a different way. And if my journey, if what I'm going after is not the thing that aligns with you, we should just release each other now because you deserve to live out your dreams. You deserve to have that child. You know, I was 26 years old. I wasn't ready to have a cat, you know, have a kid. I had a whole life that I had to build. And so it was more or less a bird and a fish can fall in love, but where would they live? So, oh my gosh, Uh, what a powerful statement, but it's true. And I think at a certain point, you just have to kind of know that people come in your life and they come and go and you learn from them. And I learned so much from this human being. And I think at the beginning, when I went to bring the word divorce to the table the first time, obviously just the pain and the fear that comes along with it. It's impossible not to. I don't come from a family of divorce, so I never really saw it. My parents were very, very happily married. And I think at that time in my life, it did feel like there was a stigma around it. But I do have to say, all this time has passed. And at this age, in my 30-somethings, it doesn't feel that way. It feels very commonplace and not in a way that's like, oh yeah, everybody's divorced. It's more or less just, and maybe that's just the people that I surround myself with. It's an understanding of, great, you're clearly an intelligent person. This was a decision that was made to serve your life or maybe to serve the other person's life. And kudos to you for continuing to live fully and boldly. And that is just an event that has helped put a little more armor on your body and teach you something. I mean, I learned so much throughout that process of caring for another person through a situation and heartbreak and trying to rebuild. And I never thought of it that way, putting armor on your body, that that put armor. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, I think with everything, I mean, you must feel this way, Laura. It's like that year that you lost all those people. It's this strange, you just kind of feel like you, you start to wear a bulletproof vest, like nothing will really shock you or make you. Your, your skin gets thicker thickens. and not in a, a shut mm-hmm. out everybody kind of way, not in a put yourself in a box and, and not let anybody in. If anything, it's just, it teaches you the hardship 
that exists in the world and the things that you think only exist in movies and think that will never happen to you. And same with divorce. I never thought I would get divorced. And it was a very transformative experience for me, but it did teach me so much that it's something that you really can only experience by experiencing it. You know, like you can't tell anybody how it's going to be. And you just, this resiliency that you build up and then the fear isn't there as much. I feel like it's like lots of people that haven't been through things like that. They're always afraid that this will happen. And you'd think it would be the other way around that you've been through so much loss. You're afraid you're going to lose every person around you. No, you're just like that. This is a fact of life. This happens. And I do feel like the same with you is with divorce. It doesn't have the same stigma because I think generationally, we as a generation have accepted that that is a natural, healthy thing to do and not to have to push through just to white knuckle it, just like you said. Without a doubt. And even this generation coming up, I mean, there are so just the evolution of our parents to the generation right below (laughs) us. It's a whole different world out there. People have no impetus to get married. People are not buying houses. It's like this American dream that we're supposed to be going after the house and the family and the kids and the monogamy and all this stuff that's kind of been forced onto our society. This new generation's like, fuck that. Wait, for what? For what? Why? If I don't feel inclined to do this, if I don't want to have a kid, if I want to live in an apartment for the rest of my life, if I want to travel and be a plant mom or a dog dad, then I'm going to do that. There's a very unapologetic attitude that's coming up, which I actually admire. Oh yeah. I think there's other things. There's part of my millennial person that's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, I think they learned, I think they learned a little bit. (laughs) I think they learned from like, not only our generation, but the generation before us that we grew up with parents that divorce was such a big deal and everything was such a big deal and that you still need to go to college. You still need to do all this step-by-step process. And then they saw us do it and be like, why do we do all that? I mean, so they're like, okay, we've, we've seen this pattern. Now we're going to go in this progressive and different way. And I totally agree. I think it's extremely admirable. I'm excited for the generation that's coming up right now. It's really cool. We at Millennials, we really are kind of straddling both things. We have these values and this thing that we are supposed to be building, but also I think we do have the fire in the spunk, but it's it, it really is this new generation that's throwing all the norms out the window. And I really admire that. Sarah, I want to shift gears for a second. I've got a three-parter question for you. Ooh, a three-parter. Okay. Yeah. One, do you think that your past trauma shows up in your current relationship? What triggers you in an argument? And does your boyfriend understand your triggers? And do you understand his and is in an ongoing conversation? (laughs) Woo! I had so many answers as it was coming out of your mouth. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Start with the first one. Yeah. The first first one was, do you think your past trauma shows up in your current relationship? What triggers you in an argument? And does your boyfriend understand your triggers? (laughs) Honestly, it's impossible for it not to. I think if it didn't show up, you would be a cement block, which I am not. I'm a very emotional, (laughs) not emotional. I'm just a very emphatic person. But Yeah, I do think my trauma shows up. I think that one of the greatest examples that I give when I explain this to people is we moved in together just over a year ago. We got this beautiful house that we have loved creating together and turning it into a home. It's been really, really wonderful. Although we moved in and less than three months later, I was out on the road for eight months with beautiful. So SOS, but I'm back now and it's really lovely to be back at home. (laughs) But 
one of our first fights after moving into this house was the fact that there was a garage full of furniture in the back, full of my furniture. The pieces that fit are here and the pieces of his that fit are, are in this house and everything else kind of went into the back garage and all the furniture that of his that did not fit in this home. He's like, let's sell it. Let's get out of here. Let's sell it. Let's, let's use the money to get something new or whatever. And I'm the one that's having a meltdown over, well, that's my mattress. And if it goes, then what does it mean for me? Which Todd is actually sleeping, <laughs> sleeping on that on. mattress. <laughs> You're welcome. It's a very you. comfy it's amazing. <laughs> You're welcome. You're like, I slept on this once. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, just like had it for less than a year, but you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that this trauma, this loss, this type of loss has created this warrior feeling. And I think, Laura, you probably share in this that there's this uber independence that has come along with all of this loss, especially being a woman in my industry, fighting for roles. I mean, you have to have thick skin, A, to live in New York, period. You have to want to be in New York City. And I was there for 10 years. You have to want to be in New York City. It's a survival place in and of itself. Our career is all about survival and sloughing off the nose and continuing forward and believing in yourself. And I think this uber independence also came along with attachment to certain things. I've created this safe space. This is my backup If I have my bed and my furniture and a dresser and my coffee table, then I can go anywhere and it doesn't matter what happens. If I need to get out of a situation, I can just go and be on my own and I'll be okay. I think that it has been challenging because I have done so much of it on my own and not in a bad way. It's just, I haven't had a mother to consult. I haven't had a father to consult. My marriage ended in essentially 2015. And of course I've dated people, but it's been a very, I've been in this really interesting pattern of getting to a place in a relationship where I kind of say, you know what? You're great. This is what you want. I kind of want this thing over here and we should just go be great maybe separately. And it's, I get to a certain point and it just feels like instead of sitting and digging in and sitting in the mud together and working it out, I just bounce because it's easier. It feels easier to just start anew and keep going. And honestly, in this relationship, this is the first time in my life where he holds me accountable. He wants to get in the dirt with me. He wants to work this stuff out. It's been so easy. And I've been the one, admittedly, that's always said, you know what? What are we doing here? Maybe I should just insert whatever comment over here. And it's him bringing me back to earth saying, it's not about you leaving or us ending. It's about just getting on the same page in this moment and working through our triggers and our, and our trauma. And truly the independence thing I think is my biggest trigger. And he knows that. And that is something we have identified, which is really, really lovely. If I feel like I don't have the freedom, which he never would, he would never say, you can't go here, see this person or, you know, I I do very much what I want, but it's with a consideration of him. He is a huge part of my life. He is the other half of this partnership. And where I've been so used to in other relationships saying I'm doing this or I'm going to go take this flight and go visit this person or be with my family or I'm taking this job. It's, it's very much a conversation now in our household, which sounds like such a simple thing, but it's been a huge game changer for me as a person to engage in conversation about my life and some of my choices in regards to a partner. It almost sounds like you guys are the yin and the yang that your parents had. I was just about to say that. (laughs) We're on the same page, but it does seem like that's, you know, it's like you found, you found your person that as much as I do feel like the thicker skin, the armor and all that is, is helpful in some ways. Sometimes you need somebody who has not been through all that to remind you that not everything is about 
like, yes, you can YOLO it all you want, but we got to be practical about some things and we got to talk through some things and you can't just run away from your problems. I think you get to know your partner best in the uncomfortable, like in the uncomfortable conversations. Without a doubt. And we have for sure had some hard, uncomfortable conversations of me just kind of looking at my own patterns and breaking my own patterns inside of this relationship, which I didn't necessarily think could be possible. It feels like everyone puts the emphasis of healing on your own and go to therapy and do all this stuff. But there's something so incredible and should be in a mature adult relationship. You should be able to heal inside of something and allow each other the space to grow and evolve continuously as your own person, but also as a unit. Well, it sounds like you guys are holding each other's hand through your growth. It's not like you're not growing on your own anymore. You, you have somebody there to put his arm around yours, hold your hand through it. Which is really wonderful because I think I do default to, I got it. I'm good. I got yep. it. I'm good on my own. And and I, Laura, I know that you feel the same I know, way. I just and like literally just sitting here talking so, like, you know, oh my God. Y'all are very but similar. For, Who knew? But yeah, I know, right. Girl, you gotta get over here to LA. Let's go I for know, I'm or, coming out. Say. This is just getting ridiculous. I know. And I think that a part of it too is that each of y'all's different experiences, he may not have gone through all this trauma, but he still has I mean, he life has experience. His own trauma. It's yeah. just not it's the yeah. same type of trauma. Yeah. You know, he has a lot of stuff with his parents that I wouldn't wish upon my worst. Son. You know what I mean? He has yeah. his own stuff. It's just a different kind but of. But you guys can kind of walk each other through those different scenarios in life because you have different experiences and you both have experiences, you know, as opposed to when you were in your early 20s and making decisions then like you didn't know who you were yet and you didn't have enough to almost even bond over if that makes any sense a hundred percent and I think even even just the whole scenario of meeting my ex-husband and getting married he once again incredible human being was a beautiful, stable, loving person who wanted to be in my life and take care of me in a way. And I, you know, I met him less than five years after my dad passed away. So it completely makes sense why being in that relationship was the right thing for me at the time to have that stability and to have that person. When I had lost my dad at that age and being as close as I was with my father, it was a a positive male energy in my life that was a caretaker and loved me. So it really, really does check out. But yes, I have learned so much inside of this relationship, so much about myself, so much about my coping, so much about my patterns. And Matt is so open and ready to talk and never raises his, I mean, he has not raised his voice to me once. I mean, as the person that I am, when I get excited or upset or whatever, the timbre of my voice just happens to get a little higher and I talk a little bit faster. And that's a little, he remains calm and centered and chill and open. And it's been really wonderful to feel, really feel like this person's not going anywhere and they're there to really work through the things. And we both are aware of our triggers and anything that challenges my independence. Like I said, we've had to work on how to phrase things or why that feels that way for me. And I think for Matt, it's very much important that he feels from me that we're building this thing together, that my, sometimes my independence can come off as me not needing or wanting to be here. And it's nothing to do with that. I'm just so used to doing it all on my own that to have someone else consistently there and present and wanting to work through the thing is a newer thing for me as well. It's pretty dope though. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I would say, I would say I'm a lucky, lucky gal. It's one of those (laughs) like, oh, this is a healthy relationship. 
Oh, this, this is oh, what everybody's okay. oh. been talking about. That's the gag, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> this is the healthy relationship. Oh, okay. Now I get it. I was just going to say one other thing. It's so funny, too, because I think part of my brain was initially thinking when you're in your young love and you're in your 20s and you're in these relationships, there's nothing to worry about. You don't have adult stuff really yet. Yeah. You're just kind of you think in you love. Do, but it you doesn't don't. really matter. Yeah. yeah. It just, you think people who fight are like, oh, well, they fight. We never fight. So we must be a perfect relationship or a perfect match. And I'll be damned if... Once you get into something that feels like you can have ongoing conversations and you can talk about the hard stuff. I follow this amazing Instagram account called Young Pueblo. I highly recommend. I love Young he, Pueblo. Stop. Oh my God. Just like, I mean, and exactly the day Todd that is you freaking out. I'm going to steal your friend, Todd. I'm sorry. <laughs> Please do. Todd's just, you know. Yeah, he'll be there. But it's just, he always writes the thing you need to hear. And it's so true. And he writes so much on mature relationships, on this space that is needed for those to thrive and flourish. And it's really, really true. Find someone who you can just navigate this with because you're not meant to do it all on your own. And even though our trauma has made us feel like you got to just suck it up and move on and keep moving and do better and achieve more. You don't have to. And the right partner will come along and help you navigate those waters. And through that, you can help heal each other, which is, I think, what we're meant to do in life is to be in these relationships and to nurture each other as human beings. Amen. I think that is incredibly beautiful. (laughs) I will not attempt to sing with you guys. Um, (laughs) Per usual. But I think that you've definitely, with continued work with your therapist and with your boyfriend and everything, that it's only going to go up from here. You have overcome so much. I respect you so much. Todd obviously respects you a ton. (laughs) And we're just so excited that you were able to come on and talk with us and be so open and vulnerable and that we could connect on so many things. Oh my gosh, I know. I had no, I, Todd really, he downplayed you. Come on, Todd. <laughs> well, no, she, he, 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 like he did twin. tell me, he Come goes, on. you're going to love her. You're going to love her. And I was like, okay, we'll see. But well, no, you are amazing. Well done, Todd. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> so thank you for bringing this together, Todd, I guess. <laughs> Just kidding. You're the best. <laughs> Whatever. I love y'all, y'all, y'all you. I love you. Today. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Todd. We love you. He's obviously the most incredible. No, my friends. That's my trauma. Okay. No, his trauma is... No, just <laughs> just kidding. But we really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk about all of this. And, and But we do have a tradition on the show before we'll let you leave. And Ooh. it's a question of the day. It's just kind of like a little bit of a palate cleanser after some heavy stuff. And this was some pretty heavy stuff today. Yeah, so yeah. the question today is, would you rather have to wake up every day at 4 a.m. for the rest of your life or go to sleep every day at 4 a.m. for the rest of your life? Oh my God, wake up at 4 a.m. Are you really? kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Why? Isn't this wild? Because actually this is, if we're talking about how wonderful my boyfriend is on this pedestal, let me tell you what. If homie could be in bed by 9 p.m. every night, that would be his dream. Coming from the theater world, you don't, don't get out of your show till 11 p.m. You're trying to wind down. If my eyes close before 2 a.m., it's a freaking miracle. So this has been, a morning person and a night person trying to make it work. And there's like, there, you know, there's always sayings, you know, the night owl and the morning person will inevitably get married because that's just how life works. Of course, that's going to happen. But I'm such a hooker for the sunset. Todd probably knows this about me because I just, I will seek it out no matter. It became a running joke on my tour where we'd be on these tour buses or in the planes. And I think very early on in the tour, I would say, oh my God, everyone look out the window, look at the sunset or look at the moon. Once again, this is a stop and smell the roses thing. I mean, I just 
die for a moonrise and a whatever. But there's something so beautiful and peaceful about those morning hours where the world's still asleep and it just feels like you time and it's slow and it's quiet and it's watching the world kind of light up, I think is is just magical. But you do realize if you had to get up at 4 a.m. every day, you probably have to go to bed at 9, 9 p.m. Well, with let Matt. me tell you what, if I'm getting up at 4 a.m., if you think I'm making it past 10 p.m., get out of here. There's no way. There's no way. That's only six hours of sleep, too. Well, that 8 p.m. is a little rough. But, you know, yeah. we figured out. We would, yeah. we would start happy hour way earlier. Yes. Well, I think that is. But that is a beautiful answer in its own way, though, because I think it goes to the smell of the roses. Thing that you were saying before that you just would love to be able to appreciate that when normally you'd be passed out because you didn't go to sleep until 2 a.m. And so you, you miss out on that moment. So exactly. I feel you there. Wait, what is your answer? Would you go to sleep at 4 a.m.? Well, we're supposed to answer separately, but I guess we can make a, we can do an right exception here. here. I personally. Oh, you guys answer after I get. Oh off. yeah, no, yeah, but, but it's, it's fine. But it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We're gonna do it. We're gonna we're gonna switch some things up. Oh my but gosh! I personally, if I had to decide, would be to go to bed at four a.m. because I am the biggest night owl in the world, and as much as I love sunrises. I, uh, (laughs) I am just as happy with a sunset. So you got me like, as far as like, I see a sunset. Oh, that's beautiful. That's great. I will be asleep for the sunrise because I just think pure physical ability. I would not be able to get up at 4 a.m. because I cannot make myself go to sleep before like 11. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, same. Yeah. It would take a big shift, but you know, if it's a lifetime thing, you'd figure it out. Yeah, definitely. What about you, Todd? I think the same because being a theater person, we are just wired like you start to rev up around 637 right before the 8 p.m. curtain. And so I think if you've done it for your whole life, it's just sort of, I don't know, ingrained in you that that's how life is, especially if you start oh, doing it sure. professionally. So you're like, I think that agreed, Laura, like I just don't think I could physically. Yeah, that's what get I mean. Maybe I'm just bed. not. Maybe we don't have, have good enough imagination. Seven as it is, like oh yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I think I think the first year or two, someone would have to hit me with a trank gun at like nine p.m. And <laughs> yeah, <say>, drugs <laughs> down, would be involved. Down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I would have thought too. I thought Todd's would be four a.m. because you do I have know, to get Todd, up for I'm so like, many things, like for rehearsals I, I am and up stuff. Generally, like last night, I was up till three o'clock in the morning. Got up at Lord alive seven Todd. today. Yeah, I just. Night owl. Yeah, I just follow my heart. I just do what feels right in the moment. I just start just up. Maybe I should start taking some Ambien or something. Well, yeah. Sarah, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the program today. You have shared so much and been so wonderful. We really, really appreciate it. I adore you. I know Laura does too. Apparently, y'all are twins. Yeah, no, we're besties now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was honestly such an incredible, incredible opportunity, Laura. It was so nice to finally meet you and see your face and get to yes. chat with you. And holy cow, our similarities are wild. And when you I know. We will get dinner. We will get all the things. Yes, Um, let's do all the things. And it was wonderful to meet you. And I I really have. I keep saying that I'm going to make, I'm coming out, but I'm coming out. Like we're, I'm I'm going to set a time and we're going to make it happen. And I'm excited to hang out in person. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you both so, 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 so much for having me, Todd. My love, thank you so much. This is honestly, it's, it's really incredible to be able to just talk so freely about this. It's something that a lot of people don't necessarily ask about. And if they do, it feels more of a surface kind of question and then to really kind of dive in and to get to share this part of me that has shaped so much of me is, is really wonderful. So thank you both so very much. Yes, it's our pleasure.
But thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your afternoon. Thank we'll you, see y'all, too. Soon. Okay, bye. Okay. Well, what did you think? Well, I know her. She's such a dear friend of mine. So I was so impressed with her vulnerability today. I mean, she's like that in real life, but it was just so interesting to be with her in an interview setting as opposed to her and I just like chatting with a glass of wine. But I'm more interested in what you thought. Well, I mean, I think it kind of came through in the interview, but I mean, I was just kind of blown away by just how much I felt connected to her. There are a lot of people we've, we've had on that I feel like, oh, I can relate to that or anybody can relate to that or that you're a strong person. But it was a very deep kind of relation to me, just yeah. the, how much that she's gone through that was similar. And I did really love her reverence for her ex-husband as, as far as like recognizing that she was young and that that was just it wasn't right timing, all of that. But that it didn't take away the fact that she now knows like what she's kind of looking for in a partner and that she's found that. And then most importantly, right. just the loss aspect that I think that a lot of people don't talk about. I just don't think a lot right. of people, I mean, it's not a sexy topic to talk about death. It just <laughs> isn't. But it's a major, major thing when it comes to grieving is this compounding of grief and and how people, I would say, have a little bit of a harder time. They, they don't recognize it in the moment, but it's almost like you don't have a moment to properly grieve the first when you have another and then another and then another. It sort of seems like it becomes this giant collective yeah, trauma. But like in it's a way, you, like, I think you mentioned it, that halfway through the podcast, you said like it, it was like one giant painful experience. Yeah, but it's almost at that point you get to a point like she even mentioned where you're kind of like, it's not like you want to laugh, but you almost do because you're just like, oh, of course, of course, there's another one. There goes another one. And so that's what makes it a little bit harder to heal from because you build up that thick skin, you build up that armor and and then you're just like, but the beauty of it is I think both her and I are self-aware enough to know that you still have to sit with it at times or else it will become its own monster inside of you that that comes out in weird ways. 100%. And I love the fact that, look, the thing about when I met Sarah, when we were doing uh, Beauty and the Beast, I instantly connected with her and instantly felt this like we had known each other in a past life and she will forever be in my life. She's like a sister to me. And the fact that she shared that she actually, because I've been with her when she actually stops and smells the roses. And it is so beautiful to see her take in every moment with every human she meets because she knows that life is precious and she knows these moments are precious. Every moment ends up being like this. She said, I'm different now from being on this podcast for 30 minutes than I was 30 minutes ago. I'm I'm a completely different person. Everything is evolving. Change is constant. Oh, she had so many good little, like, I can't wait the quotables, the, the things, because they're, yeah. they're so true. I mean, well, my favorite, honestly, just to give a little palate cleanser was when she said, I'm a hooker for oh, a sunset. Oh, I love that. I did love that. <laughs> or sunrise. And you know what? Or for, for a sunrise. sunrise <laughs> because I feel like I'm a hooker for a sunset. Like I get caught. Right. I, you know how many pictures I have of sunsets on my phone? It makes no sense. Like I have like probably a thousand and they all look pretty much the same. <laughs> but, you know, it's just that appreciation and to hear it from her her and, and also see myself in that go, 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 
and not be seen as, oh, I'm go, go, going because I'm avoiding it. It's I'm go, go, going because I know that we only have so much time on this planet. And we talked about this briefly, but you could tell there was a difference when she talked about her dad passing and when her mom passed. When her dad passed, it was much more just that this is this crazy moment that she never thought would happen, but also that the concern for her mother and how that was affecting her because it was sudden, all of that. But then when she talked about her mother, because it wasn't sudden, it was over a period of time, it's more painful. And there's a different kind of feeling there. And that I can 100% say from my own personal experience, it was a very different experience for my grandfather to die in his sleep than for my sister-in-law to die. I mean, just taking the age factor out of it, but just how the whole experience itself is just so different. And I mean, I I know I keep saying it was nice. I think that people probably think that's weird, but it is. It's nice to talk to somebody who has been through the same things and to show people out there that it is good and it feels good to talk this out. And that when you hear other people say those things, that you feel way less weird about it, that this is a fact of life. And as you know, Mm because I am this way, I'm not stopping and always smelling the roses, but I am always getting very annoyed with people who wallow and who don't take action. And for me, that's because life is too short to just sit there and, and just ruminate and not make a decision. And not that there aren't some things that you need to take a pause and and reflect on, but the back and forth that a lot of people do with what should I do with my life? And am I in the wrong job? And I know I'm in the wrong job, but I'm just, this is comfortable. It's like, guys, you don't know, you could be hit by a bus tomorrow and you're going to be sitting there being like, man, and I stayed at that freaking desk for like past five years. I kept saying I was going to leave, but I didn't. I, that's a huge takeaway from this podcast. I agree, Laura, that seize the moment now, the time is yeah. now. It's like, you know, I hate to be a musical theater nerd and quote Jonathan Larson, but no day but today. Yeah. That was from Rent for people out <laughs> there. But it, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I didn't Rent. know, so I appreciate it. But Sarah is just, and on stage, she's captivating. Yeah. And she goes to whatever reality she's in so effortlessly and with such ease and grace. And when I watch Sarah act, it's like watching a masterclass. And I truly mean that. I learn from her when I'm in a scene with her. We're doing self-tapes together. We're in a show together she's there. She just automatically drops into the scene. And maybe it's because she's had to adapt so quickly in her life that she just can adapt to whatever those circumstances are in that as if reality. But I'll tell you what, I was blown away by her candid openness today. And I'm so glad that you two connected on that level. And she's inspiring. And she's also inspiring the fact that she keeps pushing herself to be a better version of herself every day, especially in her current relationship, which then in turn affects her work and makes her a better actor. So it's, it's all full circle. Yeah. That is, I think the perfect way to say it, because even in college, I used to write and not to be just a nerd in general, but I would write things (laughs) on my mirror, the inspirational, whatever, but the, you know, energy begets energy. So when you start putting effort into something into one thing, then that energizes you to put energy into another thing and then another thing and then another thing. And then I think another thing is that you, when you go through so much like she has, or I have that 
you have a really good bullshit meter of like what doesn't matter <laughs> and what does. <laughs> you can right. laugh all you want, <laughs> but it's like no, no I'm I'm laughing because I know it's, it's just true. Like, it's, it's oh, funny oh it's I'm true. sorry, you had a hard you had a hard morning because you woke up a little too late, and maybe this is why. I mean, everybody out there that knows me, I am late often. Apologies for the rest of my life. I'm so sorry. It is not because I'm trying to be rude. It's just that I also, to me, 10 minutes is not a make or break. It's not the end of the world. Nobody is dying unless I'm a surgeon that needs to get to surgery. Things happen in life. They come up and you have to address them. If my daughter's going to come up and ask me to go pick flowers with her while I'm getting ready for work, I'm going to take the five minutes to go pick flowers with her because that's more important Amen. to me. Amen. And I think everybody listening should take note of that because it's just like Sarah said, stop, smell the roses, take the time, take the moment. Yeah. This was such a great podcast. It really was. I really hope everybody enjoys it as much as we did. I mean, I just think it was definitely way higher than any expectation that I had of not, not only because she was so open, but because I, I feel like I made a very good new friend. So thank you. I think you did too. You need to get out I here know. to LA. I'll see you out there then. All right, y'all. All right. Later, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.